Hello there, and welcome to the Brainwaves podcast. Now, this is episode 69, and before you say or hear anything, I, I can hear what you're thinking. Just just, uh, just turn that down a wee bit, can hear you a little bit loud. We are not going to spend the rest of this show doing lots of cheap jokes and ruining it. You know, this is, this is a show for, for everyone, and we want to keep it that way. So, just to reiterate, this is Brainwaves episode 69. Hope you have a wonderful time, and we're going to have a nice show. I'm Jamie Adams. I'm Ian Chandler. And I'm Ian McAllister, and this is Brainwaves episode 69, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. Yes, you, you over there. These are the headlines for the week of 22nd of March, 2021. Level 99 has to bite the bullet. Asmodee has a plan B. And the best thing about HeroQuest is the fraud cases? All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Our top story tonight, Bullet Heart, is a game soon to be released from Level 99 Games. Included in the list of published playtesters is the name J.R. Honeycutt, at whom abuse allegations were levelled in November of 2019, and we covered in episode 39. This inclusion drew swift condemnation from many angles, with calls for the name to be stripped from the credits. Level 99 initial explanation was, long before his abusive behaviour was made public, J.R. Honeycutt participated in these playtests as part of a group of game designers. After J.R.'s actions were made public, we considered removing the credit. In the end, we felt it would be deceptive to deny the fact that he had playtested the game. Later, President of Level 99, David Talton, released a statement on behalf of the company clarifying what happened and what is going to happen now. Honeycutt's name will be removed from all future printing of Bullet Heart, and has already been removed from the digital editions of the real book. They will be donating a portion of the sales to RAIN, the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network, and they will review this and all their similar policies, updating them to reflect our company values and our moral responsibility to our fans and to the hobby. There's a thing here where they, they wanted to credit all the playtesters involved with the project and they thought they were being honest by including J.R. Honeycutt's name, but in actuality... You don't like, yeah, okay, you want to credit all your playtesters, but this is someone who has perpetrated horrible abuses in the hobby, has been rightly called out by people for doing so, and you don't want him involved with your games, and you don't want to credit him in any way. You don't want to give him any sort of kudos for being involved with your game. Just remove his name. Yep. They've, they've previously removed people using ethics clauses, so this is just nice and straightforward. Mature industry, you have an ethics clause, you get rid of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I talked about this recently in the cancel culture article I posted on the site is that, that there are many companies, uh, in this case it was talking about Simon Schuster's book policy where they have an ethics clause that stopped them publishing the senator whose name I continuously forget. Senator Josh Hawley. Senator Josh Hawley. Thank you very much, Jamie. Sorry, that name is going to, that name's got a bit of a permanent space in my brain because I remember what he did. Yeah, indeed. And we all should remember what he did. Basically, his book deal was cancelled by Simon Schuster because they have an ethics clause in their publishing policies, and he violated it. So there's nothing wrong with games companies having exactly the same. It's just we need to grow up as a uh, as a hobby a little bit, and companies need to have that kind of thing in. And it, maybe don't think about that when you're setting out to design your first board game, to publish your first board game, and set yourself up as a publisher. But it's the sort of thing that you need to consider for down the line to protect not only yourself, but also your audience as well. This this isn't Level 99's first board game, though, Ian. No, and what what I'm trying to say is, like, it's 
something maybe we haven't considered as much in our particular industry it hasn't it's not the sort of thing that's come up as much and it is the sort of thing that we should look at down the line and especially i was i was sort of speaking to the smaller publishers thinking about starting out and making new games that it's not only just about the games you need to have policies to protect your audience from this kind of thing anyway jamie asmonday has got uh, another plan up their sleeves that's a little bit of a tenuous link there, Ian, but yes, Asmodee, the dynastic rulers of more board game licenses than I have fingers and toes and can think of in my head right now, have acquired Plan B Games. Now, Plan B Games uh, itself um, encompasses a number of, of gaming publishers, which include Plan B Games, Spiel, Next Move, and Pretzel Games. Now, this means Asmodee now holds the game licenses for games such as Camel Up, not Camel Cup, Camel Up. Okay, just so we're clear. I disagree entirely. Yep. yep. Camel Up. <laughs> uh, Great Western Trail. And the phenomenally successful Azul. Now, Sophie Gravel, founder of Plan B Games, said, I am delighted to see the Plan B Games family become part of the Great Asmodee team. Its tremendous network will offer our collections a broader distribution base, as well as a bigger community of players worldwide. We will continue to strive to publish games with the same care and attention to detail that's always been our driving force. Our goal remains the same, to offer unforgettable playing experiences, both through the depth of our gameplay and premium quality materials. Now, Sophie Gravel was the owner of Philosophia, who bought Zedman Games in 2011, creating F2Z Entertainment. Zev Schlesinger the Zedman founder, left Zedman uh, Games on January the 15th, 2016. Coincidentally, the same year that F2Z Entertainment was acquired by Asmodee. Sophie left and created Plan B. And now Plan B is also being absorbed by Asmodee. It's a funny old world, isn't it? Which makes Sophie Gravel a fantastic business person. Yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> wow. Well done. Make a company, sell it to Asmodee, make a new one. How long we, until we're going to see these titles on Board Game Arena? And two, how long is it going to be before we see a new company set up by Sophie Gravel? Well, the latter, like, I would imagine she's thinking about that right now because she seems to be absolutely on the ball. Amazing work, fantastic. As to, as to like, we talked about this privately, Azul being on BGA is going to be a massive win for BGA and Asmodee and Plan B Games. Just, yeah. That's definitely going to happen, isn't it? It's absolutely inevitable. And can, I can see Camel up. And Great Western Trail is obviously getting three new editions next this year. Is it? Uh, it's getting getting a second like edition whatever. reworking. I think it's getting some either variations or maybe an expansion. It's getting some spin-off sort of like Great Western Trail, but in a different kind of area, kind of thing, like almost like Ticket to Ride kind of expansions. Uh, so it's getting those. So I can absolutely see those coming. Al- a great Western Trail coming to Board Game Arena alongside those releases. Seems inevitable, really. Well, Asmodee acquiring more. I mean, it's under understandable. You know, we'll keep bringing these up when they when big things like this happen because it's Asmodee, and you know they are a huge driving force. Funnily enough, and and with you know speaking globally here, you know various countries are uh, tightening up COVID restrictions. Some countries are relaxing them uh, i don't think we're going to see or- online board gaming shift you know as much as we we think so it's here to stay i mean as we talked about a couple of casco when we were talking to ian parvel of of board game arena is that 
the acquisition of Board Game Arena by Asmodee is speaks to their belief in the future of digital board gaming. Even when we get background tables, they have obviously acquired a big part of the digital landscape and they believe that that is part of the, their future. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. Speaking of Asmodee sinking large amounts of money into online ventures, Ian, do we have a sensible online proposition coming up next? No, no, we do not. Do you know what the best thing about HeroQuest is? The best thing about HeroQuest is the crazy, crazy version that almost came out in Spain and is now subject to a gigantic lawsuit. Many thanks to James Hewitt of Needy Cat Games for bringing this one to our attention. As you may know, HeroQuest, the Milton Bradley Games Workshop dungeon crawler that was a big part of a lot of our childhoods, including myself, is coming back after an extremely successful campaign run by Hasbro through their own crowdfunder called Pulse. What you may not know is that a company based in Spain tried to bring HeroQuest back before Hasbro, but their claims to having the rights to HeroQuest were dubious at best. The story of what is happening now comes to us from a site called El Confidential, and it's a translation of that story that we're reading from, so there might be a little inaccuracy here as we sort of like figure out what was meant in the original text. Basically what's happened is 700 of the original 5,000 backers for HeroQuest 25th Anniversary Edition have launched a class action lawsuit against the man behind that called Dionasio Rubio Gil. This was crowdfunded in 2013 to the tune of 680,000 euros. That's just over half a million British pounds and so far has not so much as delivered as a miniature. Gill has accumulated several court sentences in the last few months, but this is by far the biggest. The case could bring him up to eight years in jail. The game originally went to Kickstarter and was cancelled due to claims from Moon Design Publication, who owns the rights to HeroQuest alongside Hasbro, after they made a copyright claim. GameZone, the company owned by Gill, registered the HeroQuest brand in Spain, but as they were selling worldwide, they ran into some problems. Gil then took the project to Vercami, which is a, a Spanish crowdfunding platform, who also cancelled it after it raised tens of thousands of euros, again over the legal side of the project. Finally, on December 23rd, 2013, a Spanish crowdfunding platform Lanthanos hosted the project and it gathered 680,000 euros in 45 days, which was a new record for crowdfunding in Spain, and as far as I understand, it still holds that record. Problem started in 20 December 2014, the original date for the game to be delivered. Backers had a message that the game would be delivered soon, and that was the last time they heard from the project or Gil. Lanthanos have actually joined up with the lawsuit as they found their reputation had been materially damaged by this project, and they lost several other big projects because of it. Gil has had three lawsuits go against him in the last two years to pay a total of €34,426 to various individuals and companies. In a statement, Gil said, I can prove that it's not a scam, and that what was promised has been worked on and the money has been used where necessary. Yeah, right. It does seem like there's been some kind of massive, I don't know if it's a scam, but certainly massive screw-up here. And he thought he could just make a hero quest edition and say he had the rights when a massive company like hasbro actually had the rights especially if you're releasing something worldwide he seems to have got himself into a huge heap of trouble there's not really much to say here other than our periodic reminder to be very careful what you back on crowdfunding platforms because <laughs> things like this can happen
Yep, Kickstarter is always fraught with peril, and beware of that. Anyway, after all our sort of public service announcements, let's get on to some news. Our first bit of news is it's the final bash down. On the last time on the cast, we reported on Bamboo Bash and its situation surrounding publication and Seth Hyatt, who is owner of Imperial Publishing. Seth listened to what we said on the cast and contacted us again with some clarifications that we did want to make clear now. We reported that Seth had split from Mayday Games in 2018, when in reality Seth never left Mayday Games fully and remained a shareholder. And also the Kickstarter did make clear the relationship between Mayday Games and Imperial Publishing. We have fed back to Seth on our thoughts on the campaign and the controversy that came around it. And we have said that we thought it would benefit him greatly to have a clear social media presence for Imperial Publishing rather than defending the Kickstarter and talking about the Kickstarter through Sleeve Kings, which is a subsidiary effectively of Imperial Publishing. We'll see what comes to that when Bamboo Bash comes back to Kickstarter. But we made some mistakes. We're clarifying that. Yeah, we do a lot of research for the cast and we read a lot of articles. And there's occasions when we are going to muck up. And we always want to make sure that we're very clear about that when we do. Anyway, Ian, from the frying pan into the fire. So we have a racist spell list. And you may be forgiven for thinking, oh my goodness. Wizards of the Coast again. But no, this is a new and different company. It's not new. It's it's just different. Legendary Games, creator of supplemental material for Pathfinder, Starfinder, and D&D 5th Edition, have faced criticism for releasing the RPG supplement, The Asian Spell Compendium, which collated a list of spells, which we're quoting from the now-deleted tweet, inspired by the mysteries of the Orient. That's a big sigh. Criticism focused on not only the Orientalism aspect of condensing several distinct and varying cultures into a list of lazy stereotypes and theming, but also given the recent racially motivated killings in Atlanta and the rise in the US and UK of anti-Asian hate crimes, timing of the release was poor to say the least. The day after the tweet was posted, studio founder Jason Nelson deleted the tweet and released a statement on the company's website which I'll read now. We have delisted this product and our entire Far East product line for all systems. These were products we mostly produced around 2013 to 2016. Recent releases have just been updates for different game systems, like the Asian Spell Compendium was originally released for 2016 for Pathfinder RPG. We should have known better then, but as a small company, we just kind of made what we thought sounded cool at the time. Sounded Cool is very far from good enough, and for that we apologise. We'll reconsider what to do with this product line in the future, and we're likewise going to be delaying our planned Asian Monsters Kickstarter. In the interest of transparency, we'll be sharing some of the details of that project going forward, which features much more direct involvement from a variety of Asian contributors than our older Far East product line did. That is part of the statement. There is a, a lot more in which Jason Nelson talks, for example, about his father-in-law and his father-in-law's family being Japanese-American during the Second World War and being interred in a Californian concentration camp 
and basically being suspected of anti-American activity, even throughout the 70s, uh, being wiretapped by the FBI. Wow. Yeah. This is an incredibly tricky subject to cover. And if you're going to make something that involves the words Orient or Far East and treat it as a mystical and strange culture, then pay someone to do cultural consultation before you do any work. Yeah. And that that consultation may be don't. Yep. <laughs> Which is perfectly reasonable. <laughs> we'll include a link to the full statement of Jason Nelson uh, in the show notes. I think it is worth having a look at. It's, it's a lot more in-depth and in my honest opinion, sounding a lot more more, uh, yeah, it's more contrite than we have heard, maybe heard from some others recently. So I would urge you to have a look at it. It's it's an in, it's an it's a it's an interesting read. Anyway, Jamie, on some financial analysis in your financial well jogging bottoms are they now after so long in lockdown? Uh, you did just steal my joke. That's probably not going to make the edit. But yeah, they're now financial jogging bottoms after a year or so <laughs> of lockdown. I've still got a month to go until I get back to work. So these babies, oh, they've got somewhere left in them. I tell you. So, McAllister steals all their jokes and puts them in the edit. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was a uh, there was the Gamma Expo online, and the website ICV2 had a uh, analysis of the American side of um, the industry, uh, and it's my job to report on what that was. Um, it's made some very interesting reading, actually, despite. I mean, did you know there's a global pandemic going on? Oh my goodness. It's the first I've heard of it. Game industry, the hobby game industry, rose 15% last uh, over 2019. Uh, online sales specifically uh, were up. I mean, surprise, surprise. And specialty retail sales were down. No, you know, no surprises there because some of them were closed because of the pandemic. Kickstarters for tabletop games in general rose to $237 million, which is an increase of 34%. Um, miniatures, despite the lack of in-person gaming, had a strong year with $415 million in sales. Now, <laughs> that's pretty good. But funnily enough, some people just, you know, they just buy the minis. They don't paint them or they don't, you know, they don't uh, finish them properly. But brushes and paints were a record high as well because... Um, you know, there was people had suddenly had a lot of time, but that's you gotta do something. You gotta do something in your house. <laughs> yeah, tell me what something to do. I've been sitting here staring at the walls. Um, I'm taking a PhD in advanced wall, wall staring. Actually, it's uh, it's going well. Um, Got to do a new wall though for my dissertation uh, or my thesis. Uh, <laughs> board games. Board games are up in America anyway. Four hundred and twenty-five million dollars. Now the strongest sales there were from evergreen titles, titles that are, are known. You know, they are. Sure, fire money sellers. You know, in this case, things like pandemic makes sense. It's a, it's a very on-brand uh, game for the current climate. Root, which I was a little bit surprised about, but uh, it you know it does gangbusters. Gloomhaven, it has a reputation, I suppose, and Monopoly, cause Monopoly, everyone knows how to play it, and that is not something you can say about every game. And that sounds like a bad-handed compliment, but it is a compliment. New titles apparently had trouble finding traction. This is according to the report. Due to a lack of public events. It's an interesting 
interesting way of phrasing it. Now, I know there were a lot of conventions that were online. Um, there were some some new titles, but uh, I, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from, but I think we might get back to that in a discussion, because I think uh, definitely Ian M is championing the bit to talk about that. RPG sales, they, uh, well, they went up uh, 80 million to, in 2019 to 105 million in 2020. Um, Mostly D&D. Funnily enough, yeah. The top RPGs it were D&D, funnily enough, Pathfinder, Cyberpunk, I wonder why, and Alien, the Freya Lagen uh, published RPG, which I have heard is pretty damn good. And obviously, with it being in the top four, sitting alongside names like Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder, it's going to be doing something right. It can't just be entirely be trading on nostalgia. So, great on Freya Lagen. Freya Lagen are one of those RPG publishers that are seriously on the rise. Everything they produce, their Kickstarters do absolute gangbusters. Their products are fantastic, really nicely produced. Yeah, they're just a very consistent publisher that produce really, really nice products and they've got a really good reputation amongst the RPG crowd now. Good. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of all I have um, right now. But it's, yeah, you know, we don't have a, a British or a European uh, analysis right now. But it's at least interesting to see you know, the huge market that is America and just how they've been affected yeah. by the pandemic. Obviously, their response has been very different. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to find something of a correlation at some point or not a correlation but a comparison that's the word jamie come on english remember your words icvt is one of those sites that we really like to follow because they actually talk about the finances of the industry on a reasonably frequent basis and actually finding solid financial reports about the state of the industry is really quite hard the industry isn't very open about talking about that kind of thing so it is good to see this kind of report come out and them talking openly about how the hobby is coming on and by the looks of it it's going gangbusters i mean that's some incredibly impressive growth across those numbers across the entire industry from board games to rpgs and beyond but yeah i think the one of the interesting things there is new titles having issues without in-person events and I, I do wonder where there's there's probably some there's probably some success stories in there maybe publishers that have embraced online and like tabletopia board game arena tabletop simulator to show their products off but yeah if if you're a new publisher and you're finding the industry hard right now because lack of in-person events then maybe it's time to pivot to a bit more of an online presence i, I don't know i don't know what to read from that Makes me wonder how much of the industry is just consolidating upwards into the Asmodee global empire. Uh, Ian, I believe we have some we have some news from Z Man or Z Man. Indeed, Man Man Z or Z Man or Man of the Z's, however you want to call them. Z Man Games, them of Pandemic Love Letter fame, have announced they are going to stop printing their Euro Classic line of games, which were previously published by Fancy Flight Games. In a post on the Zedman website, head of studio Steve Kimball announced the designers are getting their intellectual rights back. These games include Tigris and Euphrates, Ra, Samurai, Taj Mahal, and Through the Desert, all games by Rana Knizia, and Princes of Florence by Wolfgang Kramer, which was in sort of the production stages but hadn't gone to printers as yet. Kimball and Zedman's reasoning include how the gaming world has changed, with Zedman no longer being an indie publisher. Well, it hasn't really been an indie publisher for a while, in our opinion. You own Pandemic, for instance. And supporting their four major game brands of Pandemic, Carcassonne, also not very indie these days, Love Letter, and Citadels. 
the the rise of crowdfunding refurbishments of games roxy games and restoration games are two cited examples the proclivity of games being released is another factor they say nowadays there is so much noise that it's nearly impossible to ensure that your wares are seen heard and given a fair chance to succeed in the market and they say one more thing reading from their statement alternatively if you do attempt to re-release a game via traditional distribution channels then you need to pray that any number of witty uk board game influencers take notice and give you coverage those folks hold massive sway over the current industry's focus and without a ringing endorsement poshly articulated in the queen's english best euro ever anyone your revised labor of love is headed for a miniature market fire sale okay so there's a reason that i've been given this one to cover because i've got some thoughts on this Obviously, Zenman are having a slightly snide swipe at Shop and Sit Down, and no pun included, with their UK board game influencers take notice and give you coverage statement. If this statement, if this part of their statement hadn't existed, this probably wouldn't have even hit our news. But because they've said that, there's been a bit of controversy about it. It is 100% not a critic's job to market your game or make it popular. If you think that is a critic's job, you're wrong. That's the job of marketers and advertising, which you should pay for. A critic's job is to criticise. And if they think there's something to criticise, if shoppers sit down and no pun included, or whoever think there's something to criticise in your Euro Classics line of games, then they should say so. Because that is their job. I am not a marketer when I review a game nor should any other critic be. If you want to get into marketing, that's fine. Go and do that. Hook up Zenman Games and market their games to your heart's content. But it is not the job of critics to make your game popular. If I may sidle in here a little bit, you know, it, it'd be nice that hopefully we can get some of these games back into production. Like yes. in, in a more regular thing, I'm not saying that Fancy Flight and Zedman haven't been producing them. They have, which is absolutely fine. But it'd be interesting to see what uh, Rainer Knizia, or old Dr. Knizia, and Wolfgang Kramer do with um, with the rights now that they have them. Hopefully they'll find out to another company and we'll see some more of them. I mean, there's a whole other conversation to be had about the availability of what we consider sort of classic games and how that might be achieved in sort of modern publishing because we're talking usually about tens of thousands or thousands of copies being produced at a time maybe there's a better way to do that there's definitely a conversation to be had there about access to sort of the the classic titles that have given rise to more modern board gaming and, and how we might access those a little bit more easily maybe that maybe that's through digital platforms maybe it's not there's definitely a conversation to be had there anyway ian we've got some news out of uk games expo yes as we call it on the cast okay with the majority, <laughs> I couldn't resist. Sorry. Brilliant, brilliant. With the majority of the global populace still awaiting vaccination, events and gatherings continue to be delayed, cancelled, and affected by the COVID nineteen pandemic. GenCon announced on March the seventeenth it would be being pushed back to September sixteenth to nineteenth, with a live GenCon event, an online GenCon and pop-up Gen Con events in collaboration with local gaming stores all happening at the same time. Game stores will have to adhere to Gen Con standards of health in order for participation. UKGE is meant to run from 30th of July to 1st of August at the NEC in Birmingham. UKGE recently released some updates and changes being made to the event. 
Notably, the Hilton Hotel is closing for refurbishment until September. It is right next to the NEC and acts as a partner venue of sorts, impacting the RPG, open gaming, and events. There will also be reduced hall space with the NEC allocating halls 2 and 3, as opposed to halls 1, 2, and 3, impacting the phenomenally popular and queue-heavy Bring and Buy and the tournaments, impacting Bring and Buy so much that there will be none due to space. Events will be limited, and whilst Open Gaming Table will still be available, there may be more space and table cleaning procedures. So, we've previously been pretty down on events in the UK in 2021. Jamie and Ian, I assume your opinions have completely changed and you are very much in favour of this event. Hell no. <laughs> Give credit to them for trying to make the best of what they have. Fair enough. Yep. If, 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 if things change, because absolutely things can change in the next couple of months and things get better, that's fantastic. And, you know, even in this slightly reduced state that UK Games Expo is going ahead, of course, there are other situations where it needs to go ahead for to continue getting it year on year. Like, even if you hold it, you've got reduced capacity, which means you're going to have less publishers, you're going to have less space for people to show their wares off, and you're going to have less attendance, and that's definitely going to be something that publishers and signers and all the all, all the people that usually attend games expo and att- pay to attend are going to be asking about right because they are it's definitely a question you're going to ask what what's your expected attendance and especially with things like the hilton closing down there's going to be more pressure on the hotels around there who knows if the hotels are running at full capacity because of covid they might it might be only ever other every other room you can might be able to hire who knows what that like the hotels around there are, are doing I, I don't know but I would imagine that they might have a reduced capacity because of all the restrictions that are in place right now. Not to mention traveling there, plane, train, whatever. And on top of that, we've got Brexit with people fly- if people flying from around the world or publishers coming in. Who knows if they can even get their games through customs. I'd actually forgotten about Brexit for a good few days. <laughs> This is, this is why we're a news-based podcast, because the news is not necessarily always the brightest thing. We do try our best, but uh, it is always bringing it screaming back to reality. Uh, I'd like to have a wee, give a wee shout-out to our Patreons, and that is our executive producers... The Lucky Spire Gaming Cafe. You are wonderful people, and you are always in our hearts. Thank you very much. And Sean Newman from the Game a Lot team. You are Sean. You are a wonderful person. You are very much in my, our hearts as well. Uh, all our patrons, you are wonderful. We love you. Um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, our Patreon, uh, Metallic Dice Games. Um, shiny, shiny, click clack rock sound. Great. Um, yes. Go to, if you want to go to. Uh, facebook.com slash metallic dice games if you want to buy something uh, using the code roll with brains for a discount um, metallic dice games are great thank you uh, thank you lucky sparrow thank you sean thank you all our patrons you are wonderful anyway talking about metal it's time to throw up the horns yeah 
uh, before there is a party game to get metal in. Uh, Sorry, so this, this is my outro. What are, what are you doing here, Ian? I'm here for the Mel. Metal! Wow. Developed with Lab Masu Games, Horns Up is a Lacuna Coil themed party game. The game takes place at a Lacuna Coil show where each player must fight their way to be the first to reach a stage with friendship threatening actions promised along the way. The band themselves featured in the game appearing on the stage cards and each game can host up to nine players max. It's coming to Kickstarter at the end of March and the game uses the box as part of the game, the stage, and suggests you could put a mobile phone in the box to watch a concert on YouTube whilst you play. We interrupt my metal for Jamie's regular outro. Thank you, Ian. Back to the regularly scheduled Monopoly outro. Yes, uh, first of all, I would like to thank uh, Suzanne and What's Eric Playing on Twitter for bringing this to our attention. Well, my attention. It's Monopoly news. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, it feels so good. I've got two pieces of Monopoly news for you. It's so good. It's like a, like a smorgasbord. Right, well, you know how in Monopoly there are community chest cards and, and they are, let's say, let's say somewhat dated? Um, yeah. Uh, well, Hasbro has now released a community chest challenge online. We will link it in the show notes. And you can choose what community chest cards are going to be in the next update for Monopoly. You can vote on new card text and you have 16 cards or 16, uh, yeah, 16 cards to choose, each with two choices, if that makes any sense. So you'll be shown two cards that each have the same outcome. For example, go to jail. And it's up to you to choose which is your favourite flavour text. Now, this isn't new. Way, way back when, uh, there was a little, a little podcast called The Meeple People Podcast, run by a Sam Maggs, late of, uh, late of Brainwaves Podcast, and a Jamie Adams, late of uh, His Last Breath, just now. We covered Hasbro offering uh, a vote on new playing pieces. And uh, we've, we did a, I think we did a live picking of it. And the new ones were picked. They were replacing like the boot and the iron. I think a T-Rex was one of the ones that were picked. I think I voted for a T-Rex because T-Rexes are cool. So yeah, this is nothing new. It's it's Hasbro updating Monopoly. This is, this is you know, absolutely fine. And it's great. And not for nothing is Monopoly still doing gangbusters. It's moving with the times. That's a great thing. If you've got a problem with that, um, that's your problem to deal with. So my second piece of news. Oh, Now, I've obviously... I and we have talked a lot about Monopoly on uh, Brainwaves. Too much, one might say. Some might say too much, some might say not enough, some might say eh, it's about right every now and again. Um, wouldn't it be a, a good place to collate all that information about uh, Monopoly? Well, I haven't done this, but I found there is a Monopoly wiki online. Oh yes. Should I be surprised? Not really. Currently it has 670 articles and I have gone through precisely none of them. Uh... Uh, but there are some interesting facts about the game on there, such as the names of the prisoner and policeman on the jail and go-to-jail spaces, respectively. If you're interested, it's Jake the Jailbird and Officer Edgar Mallory. And the longest game of Monopoly played in a bathtub. I was about to say, can you guess how long it was, but you've both got the the notes in front of you. That is 99 hours in a bathtub. 99 hours. Was it you, Jamie? It, no, it wasn't me. I haven't played Monopoly sure? in a long time. Yes. Um, 99 hours, though. We're talking serious prune hands. Like, you, you come, you're coming out all over wrinkly. Hopefully you kept topping up the hot water as well. Yeah, if you want to look up some more Monopoly fun facts and lo- more Monopoly stuff about editions, go to the Monopoly wiki, because there's lots of stuff in there. Fun facts. Hey. I, I, I question the word fun in there. <laughs> 
You get down off your gatekeeping high horse. Monopoly Fair is enough. 85 years old this year. As we and still the going strong. Of the year, and still going very, very G-dang strong. Indeed. Anyway, folks, uh, thank you very much for listening. And if you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. And we'd love you to join us on our next cast, which, talking about things going strong, will be our third year anniversary. Who knew? You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Come along to the website where I post articles on the giantbrain.co.uk. You can email us about anything in the cast at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. And please do come and join us on our Discord where we're arranging our next games night the day after this cast goes out. And there's lots of lovely people to chat about all sorts of things with. We hope to see you there. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.